Državljan D. Podcast za aktivne državljane. Welcome everybody. Uh, it's uh, 21st of October, but you're listening to this episode of Citizen D podcast on the 15th of November 2021. Uh, with us today is Marele Kaufmann, uh, an associate professor at the Department of Criminolo- Criminology <laughs> and Sociology of Law, University of Oslo. Her background is in uh, criminology, sociology and cultural studies, and she seeks to consolidate the field of digital criminology. In particular, she studies digital surveillance practices and how people engage critically with these practices from within surveillance systems. So, welcome, Marele. Um, I understand you're uh, you're attending um, um, an autumn uh, school of um, autumn school of criminology at the uh, in Ljubljana. So, uh, how how did that go? Your talk. Yeah, it's the Autumn School of, of Law and Technology in Ljubljana, and it was um, it was great. It was a great audience, very interesting questions, and um, I much commend uh, the initiative taken by Alish and his colleagues, Pika, and so on. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's it's interesting how this automated uh, automated surveillance technology and automated policing picked up in in the recent years. And uh, let's let's start off with an easy question. Why do you think that is? Why do you think in, in the last few years, let's say, uh, the field of algorithms helping or solving crimes uh, went uh, went into the to the mainstream uh, so widely in, in so many countries at once? Exactly. Um, I mean, well, if we look mainly at the policing sector for now and why it took off there, <clears throat> I think there is this kind of need to organize information for intelligence, right? So the idea is that we want to track people, we want to predict things, you know, that would be intelligence, but also for evidence purposes, right? We mm-hmm. we, we use digital information now more and more <clears throat> to establish evidence. So, uh, so this is at least the narrative that we find um, in the police that um, those tools would be welcome to, to help out with this. And then, you know, there is this desire um, to predict in order to protect. And this desire has always been there. If we think of the policing field, um, we have been experiencing this from the, from, from, you know, already the 1920s, already before that, you know, information was always relevant to the police. We, we organized information with needles and pins on maps. Uh, you know, they have been uh, collected in many different forms and formats. But now we're <clears throat> moving more and more to pretty sophisticated prediction software um, that are basically taking over or an extension of part of these practices that we have already known from before. So the desire to predict is nothing new. It's actually been around for a while. A third thing we might want to mention here is, of course, that the tech market itself is an enabler. Um, So um, we have so many private companies that really have begun to venture into um, all sorts of algorithmic uh, development. And um, uh, the idea is then here, of course, um, to, to have access to information technology and not not lag behind to be a modern police um, is is probably the idea. Mm. Here. 
And um, I guess we maybe also <clears throat> come back to this question, but um, there's also clearly this, this idea that one competes with different countries. At least I have the impression that when I speak to Norwegians um, who consider themselves a relatively safe and small country um, uh, in terms of its inhabitants, um, there's always this thing, yeah, but, you know, if you look at Denmark and the North, or if you look at the Netherlands and Britain uh, in Europe, um, there's, a, there's a different development already here because they have different types of problems and different access to data and so on. So there's a little bit of a comparison element there, too, as to why um, different policing fields would like to, or law enforcement fields altogether, would like to um, <clears throat> adapt Mm -hmm. uh, technologies. Mm. You, you opened up a lot of topics uh, we're going to discuss in, in the following uh, minutes. And But I would like to start with this um, this uh, uh, love for, for surveillance technology or, or this techno-determinism that sort of uh, goes into saying that, you know, more tech, better results or uh, more tech, less problems. And I want to hear your thoughts on on uh, what is this? What what do you think is this uh, perception based on? So that more technology, more data, more everything will actually help and not hinder, let's say, in crime detection or crime prevention or or other uh, areas of of criminology. No, it's it's interesting because now we've already uh, heard the first voices of. The, speaking about the data deluge, right? Where we're we're um, <clears throat> we're drowning in an ocean of data, uh, or or people people are already almost complaining about the amount of information they actually have access to, but the lack of tools um, to look at them. So um, <clears throat> it's interesting um, that that this idea of the more data, the better is not. You know, it's it's starting to kind of people are starting to realize maybe this is not really <laughs> what we're um, <clears throat> what we're after. Um, and then, of course, there's this um, <clears throat> this idea that uh, technology can somehow um, yeah, help us. And, and some police officers are also afraid that uh, technology takes over some of their skills. Um, others have said we need it <clears throat> in order to um, to get a grasp of, of of this information that is around us. There is this um, this intense idea that um, it would render police work more efficient. Uh, you know, one could be faster. One one um, one could uh, uh, you know have all this information if if one only could get one's head around all this information, one could actually um, uh, predict many, many developments, prevent them in advance, uh, stop people that might uh, do something mm. <laughs> or warn them or in the, in the best case scenario, start a prevention program on these kinds of things. But these, you know, we know that all of these things obviously have extremely difficult um, uh, problems to face when it comes to bias and mm. and discrimination that happens uh, through through technology use. Mm. Before we before we go into this field of of uh, biases and uh, supposedly neutral tech, I wanna I wanna hear your thoughts on another aspect of police work and police work in combination with uh, technology, and that is the 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 taking on responsibility for the results of the procedures right so do you think uh, the 
let's say the the idea of shifting the responsibility uh, completely or in 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 the majority part to the technology and taking it away from let's say uh, human uh, police officers or human uh, human uh, policing uh, yeah people uh, do you think that um, that plays a role so do you think the police is using or is trying to push for a wider usage of algorithmic and other prediction tools in order to sort of disperse responsibility if or when something goes wrong yeah this is a super interesting field that also speaks to legal regulation and rights and and those kinds of questions um that we're still in the middle of exploring i would say and um <clears throat> i mean we're um uh, um, I'm, not, not, I'm not sure at which point we're really going to take the deep dive into this, but I can already say that um, the, the way in which technologies um, are built, um, the way in which um, data is uh, imagined and um, generated and collected and so on, always includes both. It always includes humans and the technology and data. You know, I consider all three here actants of 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 um, of responsibility, and of of those who have an influence on the on the way in which technologies are being used today. So it's a it's a bit of a cop out, of course, to say uh, now we have a technology we can play in this. We know that there has been kind of court cases and problems that ar arose around this this question of who's in the end responsible. Uh, yeah or the type of information that's being processed and how it's processed, how it's stored and so on, um, that this is a legal question is, 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 is clear, but at the same time, it's also, I would say, a socio-technical question of how do we define responsibility that becomes really real uh, when one also um, thinks about data protection and how data can, practically speaking, still be protected today. There's mm. so many entry points uh, for responsibility and for careful forms of processing of, as I said, storing the way in which data is cleaned, the way in which data is, um, is, is subjected to different kinds of analyses, the way in which data is reused. All of this are parts uh, that are super relevant uh, to discussing um, uh, their their influence and and the responsibilities we need to take for those types of influences. Because again, this isn't something new, right? If you if you look at uh, war on terror, if you look at the security theater, let's say, or airports or other um, other elements of of uh, security theater that were present during the or in the beginning of war on terror. The questions were basically the same, right? Who guarantees or who vouches for these? techno solutions that are there supposedly to to protect us or to prevent terror and uh, enable our freedoms right absolutely and i think yeah i think the question of responsibilities really sits here in a very dispersed field um, and has as very many actants and we've seen it already there as you mentioned but we also see it in all sorts of we don't just need to stay within the security field I mean there is also responsibilities to be taken in the economic field and in the 
<clears throat> in any kind of private sector that deploys technology, right? I mean, they're, they're also liable when they're using this technology. So, so, so the point is here that um, we need to um, move towards an understanding of technology that does neither um, look at the humans who deploy them and nor at the those the technology alone, but it, it's always a combination. And if I, yeah, yeah I, I personally also would add um, as a third actor here, the, the different type of information, the databases, the data that that also kind of can can make influence things and mm. uh, the size of how it's created and mm. uh, yeah stored. So, so why do you think this this question? So on one side you have this question of responsibility present in in different areas of of. Uh, our let's say social life for for many many years on the other hand we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel regarding the answer to this question so why do you think the the question of deciding or delegating responsibility or developing a framework of responsibility that would include all of the actors you've mentioned why do you think that's so hard to do um because we still um, need to have quite a bit of insights. Um, I have to say that um, it, it's it's um, only been relatively recent um, that we've understood the power that technology has in society, um, the way in it which already changed our habits and routines, <clears throat> the way in which uh, technology uh, enacts politics. Um, I remember only a few years ago, I was holding um, a talk about technology uh, for, for, for legal scholars, and some of them were outraged when I made the point that technology isn't neutral and has actually influence on things. And, and it, was, it was fascinating to see how this has turned, I wouldn't want to say 180 degrees, but it has within just a few years, there has a, you know, been a rising, um, uh, uh, I think, a, a rising understanding of the fact uh, that that uh, technology is, is intensely complex and as intensely powerful. And precisely because it is so complex, precisely because we still need to open up so many of these um, uh, these processes um, and understand how it influences us and why and through which type of um, activities um, that stand in the background, uh, that's, that's what makes it so complicated. And also the field of technology use has become so incredibly professionalized. So many different professions that are really in their, um, in their fields kind of, um, very advanced um, are working together. So in order to just follow that around, in order to really just understand what's happening in all these different professions, we need quite a lot of competence still. Mm. Mm -hmm. Do you think it, it has something to do with uh, technology being primarily, um, let's say, an area of um, engineers and, and other, let's say, nature science um, students or, or professors, while at the same time, uh, you know, humanities, uh, law and uh, other areas of, of expertise or people from, from these areas are sort of pushed to the side when, when discussing technology. I often have this feeling that, you know, the engineers, speaking very broadly, 
just don't uh, trust uh, legal scholars and uh, humanities scholars to to sort of have a have a valid opinion on on the let's say the impact the technologies do in our society and that generates all these issues where technology is basically not compatible with uh, with the um, society it's being deployed in yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point and i would only um I would be a bit careful in in finger pointing here um, because I have experienced when I do empirics, for example, that some of the, <laughs> that's always easy to go out as a critical scholar and go like, you guys, the professional ones, you have, you know, you're, you're ignoring us. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's easy. And when, once you start actually engaging with the field and starting to, to, to pick, pick the technological, socio-technological processes apart, you understand that a lot of them are aware of limitations. A lot of the people who work, for example, in the police, you have the yay and the naysayers to put technology and you have quite a lot of people who are very, very aware of, of the influence that technology has on society. Um, what I found fascinating, um, so to a certain extent, um, I don't know if I can say it, it has to do um, with the different fields that are considered um, neutral or not neutral or scientific and not scientific. But I, I, I noticed that at least when people work together who are um, have a sociological background, let's say, and those who have a technological background in order together to, to, to design something, it's not necessarily a given that these two understand each other, right? Mm. It's, it's it's still and that's my problem also when it comes to this professionalization and sometimes even the people who sit behind the the, the logistics and the sociological ideas of algorithms um, have no clue how their um, engineering kind of team actually translates all their ideas into math you know mm. they can follow that math and that's 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 again a problem of of um, professionalization that I mentioned mm. another that definitely comes to mind is that I have also for a long time worked in um, uh, in technology assessments and there of course you have that trend that one easily becomes an ethical fig leaf as the as the critical sociological or, or, or legal kind of scholar mm -hmm. trying to provide the <clears throat> trying to provide something on on impact although you know, maybe, maybe slowly, slowly we're getting there that those type of impact assessments are more and more taken seriously precisely because of all the, the rise of, of, of these big words such as filter bubble, garbage in, garbage out, echo chambers, um, you know, all of these, these, the faith movement, fairness, accountability, transparency, ethics, you know, even though some of these are themselves pretty infused with the, the private, uh, private uh, companies and private spheres, I would still say it's, it's sometimes these very big words help already putting some of these, these things onto the agenda. And finally, mm -hmm. something that I personally find very fascinating is, um, is that precisely that conversation between engineering, maths, um, IT maybe, and, and sociology and cultural sciences to understand that, you know, um, that that you know this idea that there might be such a thing as mathematic enculturation um as is one of the words one uses here to to say like maybe not everybody even not maybe not even math is a thing that is in itself a neutral 
science, you know, because there's different different cultures of, of, of dealing with maths. And especially we can say this is especially true in the field where we start to discuss statistics that are so in is so intensely important in, in the development of technology. Mm. Uh, what role do you think in all this uh, discussion around surveillance society, objective technology and, and other uh, aspects we've just discussed, what role do you think the media discourse plays? Uh, so representing or translating these complex issue in, in let's say, sound bites and, and other uh, media articles. Uh, do you see a media playing a role in, in the, let's say, translating or popularizing these questions and uh, bringing in more people to, uh, more different people to, to discuss them? But of course, yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, just look at how this, uh, the, I mean, I don't mean to make any, uh, um, uh, <laughs> I'm not doing advertising or anything. I'm not, I'm not an influencer. But all I'm saying <laughs> is that, for example, just look at how magazines such as Wire um, has suddenly boomed, you know, like it, it, it used to be this small kind of niche thing and suddenly it's become this, this, kind of this mainstream side where one goes to get get uh, tech news or or you know that the how much technology news are integrated into the big uh, internationally read newspapers um i definitely think that the media discourse has has risen around this it's also always very interesting how the big companies themselves put themselves into the into the media <laughs> in mm. that respect um Mm, but we we just need to be very careful, and also you know the whole rise of 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 uh, of podcasts, blogs, all of yeah. this. You know, people people love exploring these things. Reddit also became what from grown from one of those you know geek infrastructures to something that's now broadly cited. So um, I think I think these these. Um, these uh, the media have are playing an increasingly important role, and it's precisely uh, important that we um, we have good media stories about this that I don't just kind of um, kind of aim to kind of shock us or 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 be make us nervous. Um, but also, on the other hand, we find those those news stories that um, um, are often incredibly complex and dry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To write about technology that can become extremely difficult to kind of really capture your audience. So I think we need to we need to have um, we need to have more um, engaging and easily accessible news about this. I definitely believe that. And even more so, we need the type of background stories that really ask the questions like, how long have we actually been living with these developments? How has all of this already changed us as societies? What are long-term consequences when we continue living like this? And um, so um, it's, it's, it's very important we have this. Sometimes I find like there's a bit of a similarity between news that concern climate change and news that concern technology, because, you know, it's such an incredibly broad and complex topic that can be kind of very emotionally filled uh, with emotional content. Um, but it's also very, very important that we understand the, 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 the sociological and so, like the, the, you know, the, the, 
impact that technologies and so on had for the social and natural environment already. Hmm. So. Hmm. It's, it's funny you mention ecology because I see other similarities as well, right? So it, both fields have this big industry on on one side of the aisle, uh, they have the politicians deciding on regulation and co-regulation on the other. You have people who are not really, um, I mean, who are affected by it, but at the same time, the effects are uh, long lasting or developing for a long time and they're not uh, seen instantly. Um, so it's, yeah, it's it's interesting to see your, your uh, your comparison, but I want to I want to develop this debate in, in a slightly different perspective. So uh, we have um, we have this um, private public sector um, going at it. Uh, so the surveillance society and, and surveillance technologies going at it from from different aspects. So on one side, we can see, uh, let's say, armies, uh, police departments, uh, other public servants, so to speak. They're one of the biggest investors or subscribers to this uh, to this tech development. At the same time, we're seeing uh, private sector serving these needs in order to to make an honest buck, so to say. Um, so, how do you see um, how do you see the role of the citizen and or the consumer impacting these relationships? So, what can we as a citizens or as consumers do? to sort of push this development of be it AI, be it surveillance tech, be it biometrics into, into a way that, um, let's say, appreciates or, or respects, you know, all this concept about human rights, about uh, privacy, about uh, uh, personal security and so on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and please, short answers. <laughs> um, no, I, I see. I see your point. And just to mention it in the beginning, I think it, what's interesting here is that we've actually seen quite an inversion um, of in 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 this whole tech uh, discourse, where the military used to be the pioneer um, of technology. Um, which, you know, is now today actually, in my view, rather following the private market and is no longer the, the, um, the one that sets the standards here, uh, as they did originally when they invented the Internet, for example. Or, um, so so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how this whole thing has become privatized. And that's, it's, it's, um, that's precisely because technology has become so accessible and so well, at least for some of us, I'm not saying it is accessible for everyone on this planet. That's also another thing one could easily discuss here. Um, mm. But because it has in Western societies become so important, it is also important that the citizen has a relationship to this. And this plays in, of course, with the question you asked about the media and so now and mm. so on, because we as citizens need to know what data we actually produce. What do we share? You know, the point is we cannot exist in today's society without sharing information. We have to share information digitally that was traditionally actually considered private, right? So today I need to kind of register all sorts of stuff in order to get health access or some groups for parenting are going online or whatnot, you know? So, so this act of sharing information gives us actually access to all sorts of important things, social contacts, public and private services, you know. So privacy in this context um, is actually increasingly then considered suspect precisely because 
we share so much. So that's the logic of, of security politics. It's like, hmm, if this person doesn't share, what's the reason for them not sharing, right? So that's why I think privacy, in a way, may only take us so far. We can discuss it. But potentially data protection here um, and the role of the citizen may take us further. For, because for me, data protection means that we must protect how people, how the citizens can exist in a digital society without having to change their habits necessarily, without losing their integrity or, or starting to change their identity. So this is what data protection is actually, it's not just about data protection, it's also the, about the protection of, of, of having to kind of subscribe to all these technological logics. So mm. I would say that data protection today is really the citizen's ability to make an informed and competent decision about where and when one wants to share information about oneself, as well as it is also the careful treatment of data, of course, that's already there, that's already generated. But it cannot be our kind of the citizen's responsibility alone to change this. We need to start getting insights. We need to start becoming aware of the fact that maybe we want to sometimes take the less intuitive road to answers because the, the more intuitive online answers are, the more information we're actually sharing about us, right? So, so sometimes we need to take um, the more rocky road. But I would say, again, it's not our responsibility alone. It's political work to evaluate what the status of, of data and data protection really is. We need research that creates insights into the drivers um, of, of this, how and how, how technology works. We need to build competence about data, computer technologies, routines, their ways of working. We need business models and, and technological solutions that have actually ethics integrated from the beginning and not just via this fig leaf thing that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, we need tech professions that understand the implications of their actions, which we discussed earlier, um, uh, and understand each other. And, and maybe we also need to really rethink how legal tools can play a role here because on the one hand, some people have a firm belief in legal regulation of this field, but we also need to acknowledge that some legal tools are incredibly limited because private actors either may eschew them or because public actors uh, you know, can be the first ones to actually hollow <laughs> those fundamental rights yeah. out because they can invoke this whole, old, this old uh, debate about security versus freedom. Uh, to make surveillance always more encompassing. So, so there are legal tools, I would say, that allow for, for, for heightened surveillance, um, definitely, you know, on the other end. So there, there is the legal tools to protect, but also the legal tools that suddenly kind of dispense that protection. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and practically, I think sometimes legal tools also just fail. So if we look, for example, at that cookie agreement chaos that we're currently in, what, what did it help us except for us being annoyed that we need to say yes to cookies everywhere we put our sides? That was actually my next question. So uh, this, uh, this role of an individual, be it an individual consumer or individual citizen, right? And the, the, this, uh, this mantra of transparency saying that, okay, the user is smart, the user is all powerful, all he or she needs is basically the rundown of every single thing that's happening in the background inside the black box and he or she will make the right decision for themselves in in the following or in the in the, the years um, in the previous years 
we've seen this adage failing over and over again, right? You've mentioned cookie directive also with, with let's say in part with the GDPR, the user is placed in the center and then everything revolves around him or her. And this is, this is causing on one side, it's causing an overload uh, with the users that are trying to, I don't know, actually read the EULAs and other legal documents that are that are required to sign to use uh, certain, let's say, features or devices. And at the same time, even with all this, let's say, knowledge and transparency, they're still not able to effectively change the outcome of the deal, right? So, okay, I don't agree with Facebook policies, but I have to use Facebook for let's say monetary or economic reasons and you know what are you going to do not be on facebook right so i want to ask you about this shift from the role or the the, the this um, this uh, user centric role to the to the idea of this let's say tech regulation so we've seen this issue popping up in the recent years on both sides of the of the oceans we've seen it uh, recently in, in China as well. So do you think the regulation of this field is, let's say, necessary and the current attempts are going in the right direction? Yeah. Um, mm, um, it's, I would say, the, the classic problem that one faces here when one kind of follows socio-legal studies on this is is that the legal discourse always tends to be lagging behind mm. so uh this is a classic known phenomenon something new is being developed and then it's like oh it influences us uh let's <laughs> make sure uh, we regulate this so um and what's actually even more problematic is that a lot of um, big technologies that really influence us um, often have um, this idea of, of um, uh, adaptability already kind of implemented in their design. Mm. So this means that um, the, the big technologies kind of, uh, they were kind of, they were developed for a purpose, but the idea was to kind of deliberately design them in an open fashion so that they can include new um, add-on technologies, right? Mm -hmm. And this is this this kind of creep that we then see here, this kind of automated uh, or automatic um, growing of the field of technology and, and data collection. Um, it is precisely here the problem how does one where where does one need to put that legal finger to to stop and regulate that development to mm. really say and this is where we're gonna um uh, um stop this because you could easily just kind of reuse this technology for all sorts of reasons um mm. so uh, uh or purposes so i think um this is this is the problem here um um with regulation i think still we can um potentially come up with with some regulatory um uh um, approaches that that really try to tackle this very fundamental way in which technology tends to um become all more encompassing um but this is um this is clearly as i said earlier this is this clearly cannot be the only way. And what I personally find also 
quite um, fascinating or exciting, and that's why I've been also studying this a little bit, is, uh, is um, how we're tackling, you know, the, a, a part of this is also how we do tackle surveillance on an everyday basis and how we can uh, maybe also be rather to put this to turn this also a bit into a positive discourse you know when we say regulation we often have this very negative discourse and like let's stop this or let's um you know let's shut this down and so on i think it can also be cool if if we start looking at those people who hijack technologies mm -hmm. and these logics and manage to turn it into something different for their own purposes mm. um uh, you know, hackers, or or I've seen many fantastic artworks that kind of hack these logics and and turn it into a criticism, and through that also kind of um, land an audience that you know maybe a legal discourse wouldn't land, right? So um, I think it's very important that we open up uh, our our you know our perceptions here and and say yes, regulation is important, but it has its own issues. And we need a more a broader approach. And the coolest thing would, of course, be if finally tech providers themselves would start understanding the ethics of all of this a bit better. But, but isn't this like isn't this uh, ship already sailed? Because we've been hoping for uh, you know techies to do the right thing, and yet we constantly see them <laughs> doing the exact the exact opposite right you recent uh, leaks from let's say facebook uh, from amazon from from other giants just clearly clearly see that they're not they're not getting this uh, self regulatory role right it, it it's basically a fig leaf uh, something that uh, that yeah. uh, that yeah. they hope that they hope uh, the regulators will 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 take it uh, will take it as a sufficient uh, mechanism for them to look away while if you look at history be it from let's say the the media regulation the industry regulation in general i i often uh, bring up the the regulation of car industry in this uh, regard so i often say that you know you wouldn't buy a car that the car salesman would tell you to you know check the tires every time you sit in it uh, so nobody guarantees the tires won't fall off during during uh, during um, during you driving the car right while in fact in in terms of or in the field of technology this is exactly what's happening right the user has no guarantees um, it it preemptively gives up all of the possible let's say litigations or or other legal uh, means to achieve its uh, its right if something goes wrong. So, you know, what, what else is there to do in terms of giving up on self-regulation and going, let's say, the other way? Yeah, I, I you know, that's precisely why, why, why I'm saying that legal regulation tends to have limitations unless it's a pretty kind of fundamental, you know, uh, you know, fundamental approach of, of changing how technology is allowed to, um, to exist in society. But we also know that the more fundamental technology regulation gets, the more creepy it also gets as mm. to uh, who can then access it and so on. So this, this, um, this is difficult. I think if we now say the ship has sailed, then basically we have given up. We, so we can't, that's not an option. But um, what I um, really like and some of my colleagues have made me embrace um, is this notion of, of companionship, 
that we as the people who kind of try to understand this are not the ones who always rip apart and point fingers and go like this is look how evil you are <laughs> <laughs> that we we well this is sometimes needed but um i think the the point is to just be there and evaluate constantly what is going on both as institutions but also as citizens and speak up and this is a pretty big role for citizens to take right so mm -hmm. can't i can't say everybody um, must have that competence that would be really um really a lot to ask that of, of, of citizens but in general we need to kind of um in order to you know this these things are not going to go away <laughs> they're mm -hmm. not just suddenly disappear whether we regulate them or not so the the most important thing is is that we keep an awareness keep an awareness of the effects it has on society create new discourses put it out there um engage different society organizations um reassert us of our rights and understand that maybe sometimes as i said earlier the rocky road with less intuitive design is the safer one to go as a as a citizen um and of course i think it would be it would be pretty good if the you know if if tech developments started to to understand taking account of this bias that is always present always always it won't go away but mm -hmm. make point of their productive powers to do good i know this is extremely loaded as a statement right now but i and said earlier i don't think technologies will go away so the most important thing is that we evaluate this from many different as many different perspectives as we can and then rather understand okay if it won't go away and if it is productive if it changes us as a society um what are the what are the options we have to 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 use it for something that um is reflected and aware of the, its effects and in the best case scenario, creates effects that we, we want in society. Mm. Because that's exactly my point, right? Regulation doesn't necessarily mean ban everything and go full Luddite. No. It just means that you incorporate different uh, different aspects to, to a solution, right? And and seeing how this, this field is, uh, let's say, uh, generating the most money for the least people or is creating new uh, new power lords that are owning the data economy. I don't think it's it's you know too um, too idiotic or too ludistic to say you know this field has gone long enough without any sensible regulation that doesn't let's say necessarily hurt the development, but it surely helps you know mm -hmm. protection of rights, privacy, and so on, right? Because mm -hmm. it it happened in every field up until now, you know, cars, other industries. They all have regulation in place, right? Mm, mm. Yeah. No, it's. Um, I mean, maybe I kind of can um, also quote here my 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 uh, colleague Rocco Bellanova, who who basically said, well, maybe if we kind of you know start thinking creatively, also as the people who write about this, whether it's journalists or 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 uh, scientists or you know people with an interest, it's is to see what are the tools that we have available for really disrupting a few of these trends and Rocco has in this case looked at, at for example data protection uh, as the data protection act how it how it can 
kind of change things. And he very much reflects about this idea that, you know, we have options that are, you know, for example, data protection by design, implemented in technologies, privacy enhancing technologies. He mentions privacy impact assessments also as a way of disrupting these, these, these um, developments. But he's also very much aware of the shortcomings of all of these things. So what I'm saying is that when I when we need to um, do our work in evaluating what's going on, we also just as well need to evaluate it, the instruments that we believe um, uh, can disrupt or maybe have limitations in disrupting um, trends that we we don't want for society. Mm. Okay, uh, I think we're done. So uh, thank you very much, Hohele, for uh, dropping by. It's it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure uh, discussing these issues with you, and uh, we wish you the best of luck in in your future endeavors. Thank you. Have a good day.